Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast, and this podcast is part two of the life of Martin Niemöller. Now, in part one, we talked about his Christian upbringing, about how his father was a Lutheran pastor, about how his childhood dream was to grow up and be a captain in the German Imperial Navy. And about how when he was 18 years old, he pursued that dream. And during World War I, that dream came true as he became a submarine boat commander. And as the war ended, he was a decorated war hero, loved and respected by many in the German population. We talked about how after Germany was defeated in the war, that Martin and his wife Elsa decided they would be farmers. And as Martin had that time out in the fields working with his hands, working with the agricultural equipment, his mind was more free than it had probably ever been before. Free to think and free to consider. And among the many things he considered was what was missing in his life. And Martin said that he felt like one of the things that was missing in his life was the relationship that he had had with the Lord as a child. And he began to pursue that relationship again and he also began to think about maybe the Lord was calling him to be a pastor and so we talked about how Martin headed to the uh, university at Munster and was studying theology choosing theology because he had a fear of public speaking we talked about what a hard time he and his wife had trying to support themselves while he was at the university but how the Lord always provided him with the work he needed and you know his experiences uh, of the poverty he actually sold the gold off of his uh the gold thread off of his military uniform in order to buy food for the family and when we think about that we have to realize that was a situation that a lot of german people were in after germany was so soundly defeated in world war 1 we also talked about martin's first sermon And about after that experience, he made up his mind that there was only one thing that he would worry about when it came time for him to preach. And that was to make sure that the message he was carrying was truly from God. And then we talked about how he joined a paramilitary group that was concerned with protecting the German borders from incursion by the communists. And about how many members of that paramilitary group ended up becoming leaders in the Nazi party. Well, that leads us into uh, Niemöller and the Nazi party. Initially, Niemöller supported the Nazi party. They did not appear evil at first. At that time, the name Hitler had no connotations with it. Now we hear the word Hitler and we immediately think Nazis and uh A good portion of the population, at least here in the United States, feels that Nazism is a very bad thing. And so the name Hitler is associated with cruelty and with all kinds of evil. But at that time, it wasn't. Hitler was just another politician to many people. And the Nazi party was just another political party. And many people thought that the Nazi party was the answer to restoring Germany to what it once had been, more specifically what it had been before World War I. And Niemöller said later there was no excuse for his support of the Nazi party, that he should have known better. 
But he did. He did support them. Many Germans didn't believe the Nazi party was serious about things like anti-Semitism and paganism. They believed that this was just um, a means of getting more votes and that it would be these things would be dropped when Hitler came to power. So they were willing to overlook the anti-Semitism and the uh, hints at paganism, thinking that it wasn't serious, that he wouldn't really carry through on that. He wouldn't really do it. They were, however, quite wrong. Well, this leads us to Niemöller's first of three meetings with Hitler. Martin was one of the German ministers that was invited to meet with Hitler uh, shortly before Hitler came to power. Now, as they arrived, they were greeted at the door by uh, Joseph Goebbels, later to be Hitler's minister of propaganda. And Martin later said that he had bad, he got bad vibes from that man. He did not get a good feeling from that man, but he just brushed it off. And Hitler arrived 30 minutes late. He was wearing civilian clothes at this time, and he was very polite and very charming to the ministers. Now, one thing that they noticed was how sumptuous and luxurious Hitler's surroundings were. And this was at a time when most of Germany was in poverty. Um, there was very serious financial problems for a large portion of the German population. Well, Hitler begins to speak with them. And he says, Reverend Sirs, I have gladly accepted your invitation in order to make known to you my program for the churches. Now, guys, I want you to listen to this. To me, knowing what happened, knowing what Hitler did, this next part is extremely chilling. And this is a quote from Hitler. I would like to convince you that I am working for the moral recovery of our nation, just as you. Since her defeat, Germany needs Christianity more than ever. She needs the churches, and we must halt the movement of the godless. We need your support. Now think about that. Hitler was telling the ministers, hey, we need you. We need Christianity. We need our nation to be... Uh, in rec we need our nation to recover its morals. That's what Hitler was saying. And then he went on to tell them that his aim, and listen to this, this is also just bone chilling. He went on to tell them his aim was to give back to the churches the position they had held before the revolution. He was promising to give back to the churches their power and their influence. He said the future state will do everything possible to strengthen the moral authority of religion. Now, it sounds like to resist Hitler, well, it sounds like you'd be downright anti-Christian, doesn't it? That is disturbing. Hitler asked for proposals on how he could cooperate with the churches in order to achieve these goals. And the ministers decided to throw their support behind Hitler. His words seemed humble and sincere. And guys, you may not realize that, but Hitler was a professing Christian. Now, during the meeting, Goebbels actually pointed Martin out to Hitler. And Hitler, also a World War I vet, greeted Martin with his title from the Navy as Commander Niemöller. 
Martin very humbly stated that he was no longer in the service of the Navy, and Hitler told him how much they would need war heroes like him in the church. Martin left feeling like he and the other pastors were doing the right thing in supporting Hitler. The fact of the matter was they had been deceived. And that's a scary thought. The thought that we can be deceived. The thought that we can fall for the devil's lies. But we have to remember the Bible tells us that the devil can appear as an angel of light. And that's why it's so important that we spend time seeking God and praying. And remembering to ask the Lord to help us not be deceived. Whether it's on big things like this or on little everyday things. The Lord wants to help us. The Lord is for truth, and he wants us to know the truth, to be able to discern the truth. And the fact of the matter is, we can't trust everybody that says they're a Christian. We can't trust everybody that says they're for the church. We need discernment. But I found, when I read this and was researching this, I found this so disturbing, the the story of Hitler's first meeting with the pastors. Now let's talk about let's talk about Niemöller's second meeting with Hitler. Martin became concerned with the direction that Hitler was taking things. The year was 1932 and Hitler was just about to seize power. Martin and the other pastors wanted some concrete promises and clear answers from Hitler and Martin requested an interview. And because of his standing, probably uh, not so much in the church, but as a, a beloved war hero, that meeting with Hitler was granted. And when Martin arrived, he was met by Goering, Hess, Rosenberg, and Hitler. Now, Alfred Rosenberg, we need to talk about him for a second. In 1934, the year after this second meeting, Alfred Rosenberg was made the leader of spiritual and philosophical education in Germany. He came to power when the Nazis realized that their attempts to destroy the church from within weren't working as well as they had planned. And so by that time, instead of working with the church, the Nazi party decided they would replace it. When they found out that the pastors and the Christian people of Germany weren't quite as cooperative, weren't quite as power-hungry as they had hoped, they decided to uh, replace the church with basically a religion, a religious structure of their own making. So here's the second meet, some some of what happened in the second meeting with Hitler. Uh, Martin explained to him why he had come to him. There were three specific things that were of concern to the pastors. The church authorities were reading in the Nazi newspapers attacks on the church. So by this time, Hitler's attitude toward the church had already started to shift. Um, Neumuller and the other pastors were concerned because the proper Christian spirit was not always evident in the stormtroopers and in the Hitler youth. Um, it had become mandatory for people to send their children to participate in the Hitler Youth. And the parents, what the parents were hearing, especially those that were Christian, was not what they were wanting to hear. 
And the third concern, and no doubt the greatest concern, of the Christian leadership was the many murders that were taking place. And Martin added that these things were hard for the ministers to explain and to excuse. Now, he and the other pastors, they believed that Hitler didn't know what his people were doing. They sincerely believed that Hitler was not aware of what was going on in his name. Now, here's, here's where it gets a little scary. Hitler's response was yelling. He yelled, murders? Can you call them murders? The stormtroopers are ridding Germany of the communists and the Marxists, the Jews and the liberals. This is not murder. This is self-defense. But I shall not permit a hair of the head of a church member to be harmed. That's when his voice became very gentle and kind. But let's, let's just think about this for a minute. So Hitler was justifying the murders of communists, of Marxists, of Jews, and of liberals. In Hitler's eyes, and in the eyes of his devout followers, these people were the enemy of the German state. These people were the reason that Germany was in such bad condition. And this, no doubt this horrified Martin. And as the other pastors found out about it, it horrified them too. Hitler asked Martin to please understand that he, Hitler, had great tasks ahead of him and that sometimes, as he put it, the people needed the whip. And he reemphasized how the Jews must be gotten rid of and how it was his job to awaken the people to this need. It was his job to awaken the people to the dangers that the Jews were posing to the German nation. And Martin said he was learning very quickly how things truly stood with Hitler. And Martin took a very brave stand at that moment. Now, Hitler had already been behind the murder of uh, some of his political enemies. And Martin explained to Hitler that the church could not participate in a destruction of the part of the German people. Hitler, uh, Martin said he would not want any part of destroying the Jews. Their only intent towards the Jews was their conversion to Christianity, and they had no intention, guys, of doing that by force. He said they wanted a state run on Christian principles. Now listen to this. This, this was Martin Niemöller's definition of a state run on Christian principles based on love for our fellow man. What an awesome definition of a state run on Christian principles based on love for our fellow man. Remember, Jesus Christ said, there's two things. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy soul and thy mind and love thy neighbor as thyself. Martin explained to Hitler that they, the Christians, could not be the enemy of the Jews and they would include them in their community. They weren't going to force the Jews out of their community. Hitler, in turn, reaffirmed to Martin that he would restore the church to its previous prominence, which included funding from the state. 
in Germany, there was not a separation between church and state as we have in the United States. And so part of the church's funding came from the government. Hitler said the church would be allowed to influence the education of the youth and stated that with it being election time, there might be some people who would be shot, but the church would retain its power. Can you imagine being a a pastor and you're standing here and the leader that you threw your support behind is saying, hey, you know, it's election time. Some people might be killed, but your church is going to keep its power. No, that's not what true Christians were interested in. Not then, not now. Not at that time. It's mind-blowing. And it had to be so horrifying for Martin to stand here and listen to this man that's about to become the ruler of his nation, the country he fought for, and he and his fellow young men he had died for, and all of that, and to hear what this man is planning on doing with his country. Nothing was resolved in this meeting, and Martin walked out of that meeting knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that the church had made a mistake. They had thrown their support behind the wrong man. Now, as more and more Christian leaders realized that they had thrown their support behind the wrong person, we see the formation of what was known as the Emergency League of Pastors in the Confessing Church. And for many of the ministers that were determined to stay true to the Lord, the uh, I guess you might say the straw that broke the camel's back or the final blatant evidence they needed that they couldn't go with this anymore occurred in 1933. Now, as I've mentioned before, Germany did not have the same type of separation between church and state that we have in the United States. And so the German uh, ministers would vote for a national bishop. And so they cast their votes. The Lutheran and Reformed churches voted for Dr. Friedrich von Bodelschwing to be the national bishop. And I want to mention something. Uh, in later weeks, I will be doing a presentation on Dr. Friedrich von Bodelschwing's father and his charitable work. In fact, I might have actually done one on Bodelschwing. Uh, if I have... Be sure and listen to that. So this was Bodelschwing's son. And his father was what we would probably call nowadays as kind of a social justice warrior in the sense that he was determined to reach out to people that were pushed away from society, people that were sick, people that were mentally ill, people that were epileptics, people that had fewer rights under the law than other citizens of Germany. And this man fought for their rights. He made sure that their needs were met. He created opportunities for them. And so this is his son that was made the national bishop, that the Lutheran and Reformed churches agreed that they had confidence in this man to be their uh, spiritual leader of their uh, churches in Germany. He was obviously not a supporter of the German church, quote-unquote, the uh, church that the Nazis were trying to form. Bodelschwing was not a sympathizer with the Nazis. He was very committed to biblical principles. Now, because of this, their votes were invalidated. Their votes were invalidated, and a state commission was temporarily set up. And a new national bishop was chosen, a man named Ludwig Miller, who was a supporter of the German church. So this 
along with the implementation of the Arian paragraph in the churches, led to the formation of the Emergency League of Pastors and the Confessing Church. So let's talk about the Confessing Church. The Confessing Church had a list of specific things that they refused to agree to. And I'm going to talk about six of those specific things. Um, number one, the Confessing Church refused to agree that there is any other revelation to humanity outside of the Word of God. They reaffirmed the authority of the Word of God. They reaffirmed the final authority of the Word of God for man. Number two, these ministers refused to agree that there were any areas of a Christian's life that were not subject to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as a part of that, they refused to agree that uh, there were any areas of a Christian's life that someone else could have authority over. Jesus had the final authority over every aspect of a Christian's life. And again, they're reaffirming biblical principles. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No man can serve two masters. He will either serve one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You can't serve both. So that's something that they were reaffirming here. That there is no dichotomy in our lives where one part of it is subject to Jesus and the other part is subject to something else or someone else. No, it all is to be brought under submission to Jesus Christ. Number three, the confessing church refused to agree that the church could abandon the gospel message in exchange for other political or ideological messages. These good Christian pastors and ministers refused to compromise the gospel. They refused to let the gospel take second place to anything. The gospel had to have preeminence. Number four, the confessing church refused to agree that the church could give itself to special leaders vested with ruling powers. They refused that. They were... They were refusing to submit to the Nazi-appointed church leadership. Number five, the confessing church refused to agree that the church become, could become an organ of the state. They refused, these pastors, these ministers, literally at the risk of their lives, refused to become just a tool in the Nazi party's political toolbox. They refused to allow something as holy and sacred as the church to be used for power or gain or anything like that. They refused to allow the church to be tarnished with something like that. These ministers, these true godly Christian ministers held the church in such high regard that they would not allow it to become a tool for politicians to use. And number six, the confessing church refused to agree that the church could place the work of the Lord into any arbitrarily chosen man-made purpose or plan. They believed that the church was not something that you fit into a plan. Okay? And again, they are reaffirming the sacredness and the holiness of the church. 
of the church that Jesus bought with his blood, of the church that is to be the bride of Christ, that it's too sacred and it's too special to be treated like this. Hundreds of pastors were arrested after this stand was taken. Think about that. Not a few pastors, hundreds of pastors were arrested. That's a frightening thought. But I admire, oh, I admire their commitment. I admire the regard in which they held the church, the regard in which they held the gospel. And I'm, I've, I've become fascinated with a lot of the aspects of the confessing church and their refusal to allow themselves to be used by uh, politics or by the, more frankly, by the powers of darkness in this instance. So this leads us into Martin's third meeting with Hitler. So after the confessing church had been organized in response to Hitler, Martin gained one more opportunity to speak to him. Hitler was in power now, and Martin was taking a huge risk. And no doubt, uh, Martin had thoroughly counted the cost before he took this risk. But he believed, he sincerely believed, that if he spoke man-to-man with Hitler, that he could convince him of the evil that his henchmen were doing. And he hoped to convince Hitler that this evil would destroy Germany. What Martin did not realize is that Hitler was fully aware of what was going on and was fully supporting it. So Martin arrives to speak with Hitler on January 5th, 1934. Hitler was no longer fawning and polite as he had been in his first meeting. He was no longer... Uh, polite as he had been in his second meeting. He greeted Martin with an icy coldness. And gone was the politeness he had always expressed to Martin as a fellow World War I veteran. Hitler stood as Martin walked in the room. And they initially stood for a few moments just staring at each other in silence. Martin noticed there had been a change in Hitler since the last time he had spoken with him. There was a change in his facial expressions compared to the last few meetings. All modesty, all humility, all friendliness was completely gone. And not only was there a new air of authority about Hitler, but Martin sensed something cruel and something terrible about Hitler. Martin said at that moment, before he had spoken to Hitler, remember, Martin had gone in here thinking he could convince Hitler of the evil of this path that Hitler's henchmen were taking, convinced that Hitler really didn't know what was going on. But he stands there, and without Hitler saying a word, he knows, he knows this man has given himself over to evil. Martin said he suddenly felt as if he were standing in the presence of the very Antichrist of the Bible. That is the level of evil that was emanating from Hitler. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't Martin who got uncomfortable standing before Hitler. But it was Hitler that got uncomfortable standing before Martin, but standing before what I believe was the Lord's prophet sent to warn Hitler. 
Hitler finally spoke. He spoke in a hoarse, shrill voice. and said, you, did not, you desire to speak with me, Pastor Niemöller? What is it about? Martin politely responded, referring to Hitler by his title as Chancellor of Germany. Martin stated that he knew Hitler was no doubt overburdened with his work for Germany. But there were concerns about whether the church would continue to exist under Hitler's regime. And Hitler was indignant, insisting the church was under his personal protection. And Martin stated that Hitler had been misinformed and proceeded to remind him or to tell him of the propaganda that had gone forth and the arrests connected with the confessing church. Hitler frowned, and he said very coolly to Martin, I shall have to disappoint you. All this has happened with my knowledge and approval. I have permitted it in order to fulfill my promise to the churches. The measures were necessary to secure that close connection between the church and the state. And that's when Martin realized this interview with Hitler was going to be useless. He reminded Hitler that if this was indeed his way of connecting church and state, that it would make the church nothing but a propaganda tool for the Nazis. And the ministers of the church would not agree to that, Martin said. They would not, according to Martin, sacrifice their faith in God for political ideology. And Hitler calmly informed Martin that adjusting their beliefs to the times would strengthen the church and not weaken it. My, but isn't that a familiar isn't that a familiar thought? Do we not hear that coming from many different directions? And I'm not talking political. We hear something very similar coming out of the churches themselves here in America, adjusting our beliefs to the times. Martin, oh, I love this, Martin let Hitler know that Christian doctrine is not dependent on any time or occasion. And he reminded Hitler of what he had assured the ministers of before he had gained the chancellorship in 1933. And Hitler replied to Martin that the political doctrines of the Nazi party would be founded on the Christianity, not the other way around. I think I might have misstated that. Let me state this again. Hitler stated the political doctrines of the Nazi party would not be founded on Christianity, but rather the doctrines of the German church would be founded on the political doctrines of the Nazi party. And Hitler began to get very impatient. He said, if that is your opinion, Pastor Niemöller, our viewpoints are irreconcilable. And Hitler explained that the German church could never be independent of the Nazi party. And he referred back to a much earlier time in German history when the church had made things difficult for the kings. Why are you making matters difficult for me? What prevents you from recognizing that I have supreme power over the church and its doctrines? Jesus Christ was only a man and a Jew to boot. Why shouldn't I, who am more powerful than Christ, and who am able to be much more helpful than he, shouldn't I have the right to establish a new dogma for the church? My word, what blasphemous things! This man truly believed that he was superior to Christ. And Martin reminded Hitler that the kings he was referring to 
had never tried to impose political doctrines as Christian doctrine. And Hitler began to scream at him and said, I see what you're demanding. You think then that my state is not a Christian state, that it is inhumane and ruthless. Uh, yeah. And Hitler said, you dare tell me this to my face. Let me say this. I may be ruthless. I may be cruel and merciless, but I am so for the good and the happiness of the fatherland. I cannot tolerate decadence of even any kind, even in the form of religion. My aim is to make Germany the only power in the world. I must, therefore, eliminate any kind of sickness, and I consider the sentimental feeling for Christianity as a kind of mental sickness. And then Hitler dropped his voice very low and said, let's try to come together. And he tried to convince Niemöller to come over to the Nazi side, and he promised, with a big smile, a position of power for Niemöller in the new regime if he would join up with them. Now, it was Niemöller's turn to be angry and indignant, but he took a moment to calm himself before he replied. And I believe this is truly a prophetic word that came. You know, we read of the prophets of the Old Testament and about how they would stand before kings and they would stand before rulers and they would carry the message of God. And sometimes they were, they were killed. And that's what we're seeing here. And this was less than a hundred years ago that this took place. And here was Niemöller's response. You misunderstood my motives entirely, Herr Reichschancellor. I did not come to you in order to ask for any advantage for myself. It is the anxiety for the church which brought me to you and my anxiety for Germany. The Third Reich cannot succeed unless it is founded on principles of Christianity. We live in a Christian age, not an age of barbarism. And this is where things get really prophetic. And I tell you that you will not accomplish what you were trying to do. You will only succeed in destroying yourself and our beautiful fatherland. Hitler became so enraged that his entire body began to tremble and shake with anger and hatred. And his eyes took on a ferocious look. They opened as wide as they possibly could. And he began to scream with anger and rage. How dare you talk to me thus? Leave the destiny of the Third Reich to me. It is my work and I will take care of it. You as an officer should have learned obedience. You will all have to obey. I determine what is Christian and what is not. I determine what the church has to do. And he reiterated that he was the Fuhrer. And when he stopped, Martin very politely and very calmly said, Then I have come in vain to you. And he turned to leave the room. And Hitler screamed out after him, Pastor Niemöller, you will either come to terms or you shall die. You shall die as everyone who is in my way. And he punctuated this statement as he hammered his fists on the desk. And Niemöller walked out. Now whose prophecy? Whose prophecy came true? Hitler imprisoned Niemöller in a concentration camp later on, but Niemöller survived. 
But what happened to Hitler? Hitler died by his own hand as Germany fell and was destroyed. And so we see here an example of a modern prophet. And I'm going to say this, and this may make some of my listeners angry. But a true prophet isn't someone that tells you that good things are going to come your way or tells you your where you live and what your illness is. No, that that's not prophecy. That That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the kind of prophet that the Bible talks about. This man, this man was a prophet in his time. Did he make mistakes? Yes, he did. He threw his support behind Hitler. He admitted later that he had held anti-Semitic views. He repented of these things. Was he a perfect man? No. But none of the prophets in the Bible were perfect. But this, this is an example of what a true prophet does. A true prophet will stand up and proclaim the truth, no matter what the consequences may be for proclaiming it. A true prophet will stand toe-to-toe with those that represent the powers of darkness and call things as they are and will share the truth. A true prophet may is, may prophesy not only good things, but can also prophesy very bad things. And this is what I feel we are, as we, as we go through this and we hear this exchange between Niemöller and Hitler. We are getting a glimpse into the work of a true prophet. And the world needs a true prophet today. The world needs men and women of God who will stand up and proclaim the truth no matter what the cost. Who will stand up and proclaim the truth. Who are willing to risk their reputation. Are willing to risk their careers. Willing to risk their future. Willing to risk their very life if need be. In order to stand for the truth. And also remember that not all of the Germans were Nazis. There were Germans that refused to bow to the Nazis. There were Germans There were German Christians that stood up for what is right. There were German pastors that stood up for what is right. Yes, there were many so-called ministers of the gospel that were willing to trade in the church for power and influence. But there were those that would not bow. There were those that, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that refused to bow to the political powers of the day. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did end up going through the fire. Some of them lost their lives. Some of them were imprisoned. And yet they stood firm in what they believed. Hitler later sent word to Martin that um, he was sorry for his angry outburst and the way to negotiation was still open. Uh, However, overall the Nazis considered Martin's views and those of the confessing church to be hostile to their organization. And in fact, the Nazi party was so threatened by these men and women of God that refused to compromise, 
that they sent in agents to infiltrate the confessing church at every level. They were that much of a threat. Now, Niemöller was arrested in 1937, a little under three years after his last meeting with Hitler. Now, a short time before his arrest, he did try one more time to meet with Hitler. He was refused. Um, So Martin was brought to a special court in March 1938 to be tried for activities against the state. And what was going to happen was the Nazis were going to try to scare Martin into cooperating with them. Martin was taken to the Planzenzi prison where the Nazis executed about 3,000 prisoners. They arranged Martin's cell so that he would have a bird's-eye view of every execution by beheading that took place. They actually had a guillotine uh, in place to help these beheadings be processed more quickly. And Martin said that he knew that his charge amounted to high treason and it was punishable by death. For a while, Martin said his determination wavered as he realized that he may end up being beheaded like these men that he was seeing outside his cell, through that cell window, over and over and over, being executed. However, Martin said that he didn't waver for long, that the Lord provides special strength at times like that, special grace and special strength. Martin said he began to pray, and pray, and pray, and as he prayed, and as he sought God in that prison cell with his very life on the line, the Lord gave him the strength he needed to not give in, and he fully credits his strength and determination in in the face of everything that was about to happen to him. He said the Lord gets credit for all of it. The Lord gave him the strength. The Lord gave him the determination. When he was willing to take that stand, the Lord gave him what he needed to hold to it. And I'm reminded of the story in the Bible about, uh, I think it was one of David's mighty men that was protecting basically a field of beans. I believe it was. It might have been a barley field, but he was there protecting it. That was the ground that he was going to stand on. That was the ground he was going to protect. And he fought, and he fought, and he fought. And when the battle was over, his hand was frozen around his sword. It cleaved to that sword, and they had to pry his fingers loose to get that sword out. And that was how determined he was to stand. And we see that here with Martin and with other ministers that went through similar things, some of which, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed. But we see that same spirit, that same determination. And guys... As I wrap up this presentation, I want to encourage you to be like that soldier that stood in that field and he fought and he fought and he fought until his hand cleaved to the sword. And I'd like, I would love to take credit for that illustration as being um, uh, an example of how we as Christians should pray and stand for what is right, but I can't take the credit for that. Um, It was my mother's pastor back in the 1960s and early 70s when they were in California uh, that I learned about that from secondhand through my mother. But I want you to think about this. As Christians, 
There are certain things that come up in our life where we have to take a stand. And we need to be like that soldier and take that stand and fight and fight and be so determined to fight that the sword cleaves in our hands. And what do I mean by fight? It means praying and seeking God and refusing to compromise. And even though our little part of the world that we're fighting for may not be very big, it's still important. And that same grace and that same strength that the Lord gave to Nemoer as he was facing the repercussions of his actions and standing for God and speaking a prophetic word to Hitler, that same strength and grace is available to us too as we take a stand. And may the Lord help us to not be deceived. And may the Lord help us to take a stand where we need to take a stand. And to stand for the word of God and the gospel and the church as a holy and a sacred thing. And our relationship with God as a holy and a sacred thing. And I thank you for listening to this podcast. And I hope that in one way or another, it's spoken to you.